Welcome into the Odds and Audibles podcast. I'm Matt Bram. Eric Scopel is with me as always. And on today's show, we are going to go into some lists of the best Oregon basketball players that we have seen come through the program the last decade. And we've been heavy on football, and, and obviously that is our attention, but we, Eric did a, a great list, and I feel like maybe just a, a quick break from the doom and gloom of football, and let's just discuss some of the best um, athletes that have come through the basketball program. Before we do, I want to remind you guys that if you are not a VIP subscriber to DuckTerritory.com, you can do so today. You can sign up for as low as $1 for your first month. $1 gets you in the door, and then nine ninety five thereafter that. You get access to Eric, Kevin Wade, myself, other national, regional recruiting writers, team site writers within the 24-7 Sports Network. You get to join a great Oregon community, uh, really welcoming of everybody's and opinions and whatnot. And, uh, and I think one of the, the biggest benefits that we have is you subscribe to DuckTerritory.com and you get to read our stuff and you get to be in the know on the latest recruiting news and team news and how it partakes, you know, with the Ducks. But then you also can go to the Ohio State site and, and see what they're saying about the cancellation of the Oregon-Ohio State game in 2020 and kind of what our insiders in Columbus are reporting about a possible reschedule. You can go to the USC site and you can read our, our insiders there about what they're saying with, you know, some hot profile recruit that Oregon is going after and the Trojans are also going after. You get the full story. You don't just get one side of it. And so I highly encourage you guys to do that. $1 for your first month, $9.95 thereafter that if you sign up today at DuckTerritory.com. All right, Eric. So while I was on vacation, um, I think this was a perfect story, kind of a, a, a perfect time, summertime story. You went through and you ranked the best guards, of the 2010 decade, you ranked the best wings from the 2010 decade and the best forward, I guess, center big guys yeah. uh, from the 2010 decade from Oregon basketball perspective. And then you ended up ranking the 10 best players regardless of position. And how, how about what was the criteria that you, that you came up with for these players to qualify? Yeah, and I should say, this is like peak summer content. And especially with, when you're at the end of a decade like we are and we can reflect back, this felt like the perfect thing for you know, a July reflective piece. So that was the concept here. And in terms of qualifications that I'm looking for, um, A, I watched basically all of these players play most of their games, whether it be um, as a part of the media during two separate stints or also a, a period where I was just kind of watching casually as a fan. Um, and so I've seen all these players play. So there's a level of like, okay, I have familiarity with who they are, which is I think important, important, like starting level. Um, and then secondly, it was what, what kind of accolades did they receive while they were playing? You know, um, a lot of these players that we're going to talk about all Pac-12 players, Pac-12 player of the years, all Americans, those sort of things, um, looked through obviously their big moments and big games they had, maybe some statistical stuff. I think that statistical part is an important part of kind of trying to identify, especially when it's like, really tight between two guys. Well, this person averaged four more points per game, et cetera, et cetera. Um, and then I guess the other part was just the team success. Um, and that part, that probably didn't, wasn't a huge part, but a couple of times it was like, 
well, this person's best team made the second round of the NCAA tournament, whereas this person's best team made a final four. So that was kind of what went into it. Um, some of it was just based upon how I perceived them as a player. Some of it was based upon the heights and lows of their career and the team's highs and lows while they were there. So a lot went into it, a variety of stuff, definitely some sub subjectiveness to this, but a uh, really great discussion on the message boards and excited to kind of hear Matt's perspective because we haven't talked about these. And if there's anybody out there um, that I'm confident knows even more than I do about Oregon men's basketball, it's you. Now, well, I appreciate that. Um, how, how did you weigh like an Elijah Brown who played one season at Oregon and a guy like maybe a Garrett Sim who was at Oregon for four years and maybe had one or two really good years, but was, was with the program for a longer period of time. How, how did you kind of differentiate between a player who was at Oregon for just one, maybe two seasons opposed to a guy that was, you know, to the players that were at Oregon for two, three, four years. Yeah. And that was a hard part too, right? Cause you're kind of weighing multiple components. So like a Peyton Pritchard, his freshman year, they made the final four, but he didn't have statistically a very strong season compared to like, we're going to talk about the top guards, like Joseph Young's first season at Oregon. He is like 19 points a game. Peyton Pritchard, he's like seven points a game, but you have to realize Pritchard then has three more years afterwards where he plays to me, at least a greater role where the program kind of developed. So it was, it's hard. There was definitely some subjective nature to it. And a player like Elijah Brown was really difficult to kind of know where to place. Um, a player like Garrett Sim was kind of hard to know where to place too, because you look at Sim and he had a great senior season, but before that he didn't do a lot. So the longevity, the totality played a role in it, but at a certain level, sometimes it was kind of like, okay, just, we're going to put Garrett Sim next to Elijah Brown, which player would I rather have? And for me, and this was a point of a lot of discussion on our message boards for me, Elijah Brown is the better player between Garrett Sim and Elijah Brown. Some people didn't agree, but sometimes it almost just comes down to like, okay, if everything's even, which player would I rather pick if I was, you know, setting up a, 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 a team of fives at the park. All right. Let's, let's look into now your top 10 for the guard position and what qualifies as a guard. And this was hard too, because uh, I there was I had a hard time looking at some of these guards and wings and kind of differentiating. Obviously, anybody that was a lead guard or a point guard qualifies. And basically, I was thinking anybody that was also in this guard category, and you'll see some kind of overlap here, it, it is more like a combo point guard, shooting guard, typically like six four and shorter. Um, someone like a Joseph Young or a Tyler Dorsey, I put in the guard category. Although somebody could argue their wings, because neither of them were like ever primarily always bringing the ball to court um, certainly wasn't the easiest to differentiate but I, I think it's pretty I think I did a pretty good job of, of not having too many uh, overlaps between the two groups okay so your top 10 goes Garrett Sim Will Richardson Elijah Brown at eight Jonathan Lloyd at seven Jason Caliste at six, DeVoe Joseph at five, Dylan Ennis at four, Tyler Dorsey at three, Joseph Young at two, and Peyton Pritchard at number one. Um, I, I honestly have no issues at all with your top three and probably your top four. Um, Dylan Ennis, I, I think I would debate a little bit between DeVoe Joseph and Dylan Ennis. Sure. Um, Joseph obviously was the better, better scorer. Um, was more of a of a like a point guard. 
I mean, very similar, Dylan Ennis. I think defensively, though, Ennis was a much better defender than DeVoe. Um, and then I don't think you look at DeVoe and think he was terrible, but I, look at, I, I looked at uh, Dylan Ennis and just think he played on a better team. Yep. They reached a higher level. Um, wasn't quite the scorer that DeVoe Joseph was, but he also didn't need to be the score that DeVoe Joseph was for Oregon in 2011 and 2012 because DeVoe averaged almost 17 points a game. I don't think people realize how good of a scorer he really was. Um, Kalista at six feels about right. And, you know, he played one year for the Ducks, 2013, 2014. Averaged 12 points and two rebounds a game. And I think, what, shot like the school record for three-point percentage of 50.4%, which is just incredible. Incredible. Um, I, I look at him, though, and I think you put him on, like, this year's Oregon team or last year's Oregon team or the year before that after the Final Four, and I think those numbers all go up. Maybe not his shooting percentages. Um, but I think, he, I, I think he was a very underrated player, but at six, yeah, I, I'm, I'm fine with that. Jonathan Lloyd, I'm fine. This, I didn't have much issue with, with this one. I personally would have put Sim above Elijah Brown, um, but I think, I think if I had one issue – is it doesn't include and, and maybe this is where we call him a wing and that's why he's not on the list but um dominic uh, uh damian dotson um i i think in his two years at oregon and maybe he's more of a wing and we can maybe discuss that um well, next. Matt, let me cut you off here i uh i made an executive decision to not include dominic artis or damian dotson and i guess brandon austin although he didn't play because right. of their dismissal. Um, okay. And, and I will say, if both – I would maybe have had artists on the guards list, and I definitely would have had Dotson on the wings list. But I just – I felt like what, what ended up happening took away from what they did on the court is basically sure. the decision I made. Understand. And that makes sense. Um, and so I, I guess looking at the guard position then, with that in mind, I, I really don't have – uh, uh, an issue with with any of these other guys. They're, I don't know if there's anyone out there that's that's coming up in the last ten years. Let me throw a name at you, Matt, and let me see if it sticks. Would you have Casey Benson on this list? That was the only one I struggled with, and that was the only one that it seemed like people on the message board maybe thought should have been on here. Maybe. Um, do you pull Garrett Sim off? Well, that's the thing. I, I don't know who you pull off to put Casey yeah. Benson on. Yeah, and that's kind of where I was at. It's like you look at Benson's career stats, they're not incredible. And Sim, his senior year, shoots like 47% from three. And that kind of means something to me. I don't know Benson shot very, very good from three as well, but he didn't play as much. So I don't know. That was a hard one. I thought that was the only player I could have conceivably added to this list was, was Casey Benson. I mean, Eric uh, – not Eric Armstead um, – Malcolm Armstead played mm-hmm. one season, one season, um, but it wasn't a, a, one of the you know historically one of the best years at the position. So I, I that would be maybe one other name I would consider. Um, but yeah, I I don't see uh, I don't see anyone else that's you, you you should look at and say he absolutely needs to be on the list. Um, Benson would be the only one, but. And, and I, I personally love Benson's game and his role, but I don't know if, if he was individually, you know, a top 10 player at, a, at the guard position in, in the last 10 years for Oregon. Yeah, that's where I landed. Now, 
let's shift over to the wings. And I, I, Eric, I think this is the deepest group. Agreed. Um, and I think this is the one in which you have a lot of options. And just so I'm clear here, are we viewing wings kind of like shooting guard, small forward type guys? That was the goal. And I know there was like a Mikhail McIntosh. who was like a more of a three, four on this list as well. But right. yeah, that was the goal. Guys that guys that could swing, that don't play center, you know, for large minutes, but could also play multiple spots. Yeah. People that don't have the ball in their hand, but they're on the perimeter most of the time. Sure. Okay. So number 10, you have Jaleel, Jaleel Abdul-Bassett. Nine is Dwayne Benjamin. Eight is Carlos Emery. Seven is Troy Brown. Six is Mikhail McIntosh. Five is Lewis King. Four is Chris Duarte. Three is EJ Singler. Two is Elgin Cook. And obviously number one is Dylan Brooks. This is the one I think I'm like, oh boy, there's a lot of changes I would make. I think you have Singler way too high. All right, let's do it. What do we got? Um, I, I think Singler as a senior was, was pivotal for Oregon. He was their best player. But I don't think from an athletic standpoint and from a talent standpoint, he is better than a Crystal Duarte. I don't think he's better than a Lewis King. Um, I don't think he's better than a Troy Brown. Um, I don't th- – this might be a little crazy. I don't think he's even better than a Dwayne Benjamin. Um, I think he was on a 2013 team that was seniors. They were they they as a collective unit played better than what you know their individual you know parts would would value as. Um, I I think that 2000 Sweet 16 team Dana's first team that went to the Sweet 16 was made up of of a bunch of guys that, for a lack of a better word, overachieved. Um, you know I, I I think individually. All, all solid players, but I don't think any one of those guys was a superstar, but they just clicked and they played as one and that's what made them so good. Whereas you have guys like Chris Duarte and Lewis King and Troy Brown and Dwayne Benjamin, I would take individually those guys being able to beat out an EJ, an EJ Singler in a one-on-one game. I mean, you know, and I can see that point. I even wrote in the story was Singler a better player than Duarte King or Brown. No, but his career con- contributions were, in my mind at least. And Singler is. I knew that would be the polarizing one, and it was on the message board too. I'm not surprised. Um, you're right. If you were, if I'm doing the let's pick five guys to play on the playground, he might be like the ninth wing I pick. And that's admittedly maybe he shouldn't be third, but it's also to me it's like. Played four seasons. The guys, the other guys we're talking about on here, almost all only played one year, or basically they all only were one-year guys um, with the exception of Benjamin. Uh, and I just think the totality of his career, he's high on a bunch of these all-time record lists. He's fourth all-time in wins, 13 in scoring, sixth in free throw percentage. He's the only other player besides Cook and, and uh, Brooks to be on an all-conference first team, which right. I, I thought was significant. So I can see the point in terms of like, Let's put it this way. If, if Oregon was fielding a team right now, I'm not sure EJ Singler is even like a part of it. On the team. You know what I mean? Whereas yeah. like we both agree like Duarte, King, and Brown, Oregon takes those guys in a heartbeat. But Singler to me is just a career thing. Um, he's clearly not as good of an actual like basketball player as those other guys. And like, and that's the other part here that's hard. Like, and maybe this is a question for you, Matt. If, we're just, if you are doing the playground scenario and you have to pick one of these, these wings, who are you taking? Troy Brown, Lewis King? or Chris Duarte. I think that's actually a pretty interesting question. Those are three really talented players. 
Well, that kind of goes with the, the next player I was going to discuss, and that's Troy Brown. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I think Oregon got hit when they signed Troy Brown leading up to his senior year of high school basketball. The feeling around the Oregon basketball program was that Casey Benson, Tyler Dorsey, and Jordan Bell would all be players that would be on the roster with Troy Brown. It was pretty much expected that that Dylan Brooks was going to go pro as a junior. He he was an all-conference player as a sophomore, had a huge year, was, you know, if he had any any kind of resemblance of a year that he was expected to have as a junior, he would go pro. And I think Dorsey was one in which you were like, he may go pro, but more often than not going into the year, we think he's coming back. And I, I think Troy's numbers and his impact at Oregon would be would have been better had he had that surrounding cast around him instead of Peyton Pritchard and a bunch of newcomers. Um, because Brown was a lot like a Dylan Brooks in my mind, in which could handle the ball a little bit, was a, a guy who was a, a good passer for a big man, really long, real, you know, mismatched you know, galore for big guys and, and smaller guards and could be that mid-range, you know, killer. But he needed stretch. He needed the court to be stretched. Right. And, and Oregon just didn't have the, the same type of shooters in 2017-18 that they did in 2016-17 and because Dorsey went pro, Brooks obviously went pro, and then Casey Benson announced that he was going to grad transfer to Grand Canyon to play under his younger bro- his older brother. Um, and Dylan Ennis obviously graduated. And so it was literally just Peyton Pritchard. Chris Boucher graduated as well, another shooter from the team. Um, and, and, yes, they had Elijah Brown who showed up, and, you know, he was a very hot or very cold player, but he wasn't consistent like a Dorsey was or Benson was. And Victor Bailey was a solid three-point shooter, but, you know, he wasn't close to, to what Benson or Dorsey or Ennis were giving. And then you also had, uh, you know, in addition to Mikhail McIntosh, who's on this list, who, you know, wasn't maybe as, as good of an outside shooter as we were all expecting him to be. And so I, I, think, I think Troy Brown, the roster kind of shifted a little bit. And it wasn't entirely made up in the same manner in which he was recruited to play at. And so we'll never know. But I, I think that would be a guy, I think, in my mind at least, is a little bit higher up because just the roster wasn't constructed in the same way um, as it was expected. Uh, I think Dwayne Benjamin is also underrated. I, I think he's a guy much like Dylan Ennis before him or after him. He didn't have to do as much, but I looked at Benjamin and, and said he could run the fast break. He could guard centers. He could guard point guards and he could shoot three pointers. And I felt like he was a guy that was playing with Elgin cook Dylan Brooks, Tyler Dorsey, and Casey Benson, and where he didn't have to be, you know, the go-to score. He was at best the third or fourth, fifth best option on on those teams, and so I, I feel like he was a guy that you know did a lot of the the stuff that doesn't show up in the box score. And I personally would probably, if we were just picking dudes on on a court, he'd be pretty he'd be higher up the list for me. Yeah, Benjamin, and let's, I'll talk about both those really quickly. But Benjamin, it was it was more like how high can I really put him? He started right. like fifteen games his whole career, averaged about eight points a game. I, and I don't disagree with his contributions, especially 
his final year on that elite eight run, he had some really big moments um, and was a huge part off the bench. Uh, and, and really a versatile guy. I, I like Dwayne Benjamin's game. I just couldn't really put him much higher than like eighth, where em- I have Carlos Emery at eight. I couldn't really theor- – in my mind, I couldn't really put Benjamin above Troy Brown or Michael McIntosh because you're starting to get into a group of guys that started their whole times that were here, average double figures. Um, but, again, I, I don't disagree with – I think he's a fantastic player. And probably similar to Troy Brown, it's like if the roster is constructed a little differently, we look at his career totally different. And Brown is definitely the best case on this list probably along with like Lewis King in terms of like if, if Bull Bull doesn't go down and, and maybe that helped King ultimately, but like if Bull Bull doesn't go down and this Oregon team is just a step better, maybe Lewis King is looked at differently because he's playing further into an NCAA tournament. And the same thing for Troy Brown. If you're right, if, if Dorsey and Bell or one of those two come back, that team's totally different. Brown might be looked at completely differently. I, Brown was really hard for me to rank. He might've been the hardest player in all of these. Cause it's like, he's probably going to have, the best NBA career of anybody on any of these lists besides maybe Dylan Brooks and Chris Boucher, at least based upon what we've seen so far, maybe Peyton Pritchard can be considered in there. I mean, he's starting games for the wizards in his second year as like a 21 year old, super talented guy. There was just times similar to what we said earlier about Elijah Brown, where he would just, you know, go missing during games. Troy Brown was the same way. And I have it in the story. His last 10 games at Oregon, he averaged nine points per game, shot 20.9% from three and turned it over three times per game um, just had moments where it was frustrating because the talent was so clear, but he just couldn't back it up all the time on the court. And I think part of that was he was last 10 games. You're probably on a team that's underachieving. You're frustrated. You know, you've got an NBA career going forward. It's probably easy to kind of, I don't want to say mail it in, but maybe lose some focus. And I think that's what we saw at the end of his career. So probably, probably Brown's a guy that you could put in your top five, just based upon the talent. You could probably put him top three, maybe in terms of your talent, but it's hard because the career was just kind of so up and down. Yeah. I mean, I, I easily see how difficult it was because a lot of it's trying to you know project out and, and based off potential, whereas other guys um, have the production during their times at Oregon. Um, overall, good list. I, I think, real quick, Will Richardson, he's the guy, and Chris Duarte, those are the two guys that are on this list um, that are currently on this team. And – their, their cases are a little unique because they're going to carry over into the new decade. And so right. how, how do you kind of gauge them for the next group of, you know, 10 years in the, guard, in the wings that all come through the program? But I look at these two guys, and correct me if I'm wrong here, um, from, a, from a, a guard and a wing perspective, Richardson with the guards, Duarte with the wings – I think both guys, if, when you look back and say the last, I don't know, 15 years of Oregon basketball, they could be on that final top 10 list. No, and I think you're right, totally. And, like, I think Duarte, I'll be honest, if, I think if Duarte finishes the season the way he – where was he was at for that – remember that L.A. weekend? I mean, he was incredible. Yeah. 20, like 27 points and eight rebounds and seven steals a game or something like that. Exactly. That was, if, he, if his season plays out, if he finishes the season without getting injured and let's say the tournament doesn't get canceled and let's just say Oregon makes Elite Eight, I don't know, maybe that's too much, he's easily above EJ Singler on my list. Like if he, if he had just played out the rest of the season, he would have been number three. Possibly you could have made an argument above Elgin Cook, although based upon one season versus two, it'd be hard. And Cook had a great junior and senior season, but he would have been able to move up. And I think Richardson going forward, like you look at the guys ahead of him, Jonathan Lloyd, Elijah Brown, Jason Kaliste, uh, DeVoe Joseph. Maybe he can't get to DeVoe Joseph, or maybe he will. Maybe he'll get to a point where he can score like that. 
But, like, he can easily be five, six on this list maybe. Maybe gets up past Dylan Ennis if he has the highs of his career. I mean, like, because the reality is once you get past the top three of Pritchard, Young, and Dorsey, uh, you're not – you're looking at guys that were kind of almost exclusively, like, second and third scoring options besides DeVoe Joseph. And I think Will Richardson has a chance here. Maybe it's not this upcoming season, but maybe the year after where he could be really the go-to offensive guy, and that would be a way to differentiate him from a lot of these guys ahead of him. All right, that's some really good stuff. Um, we're going to take a quick break, and when we come back, we'll discuss the best big guys. And this is another interesting hard list to make. And then the top 10 players of the decade for Oregon basketball. All right, welcome back to the Ots and Audibles podcast. I'm Matt Prem. Eric Scopel is with me as always, and we're talking... 10 best big guys to play at Oregon basketball during the 2010s. And then we'll finish up talking Eric's list of the 10 best players, regardless of position in the last decade for Oregon basketball. Now, this is a, a group, Eric, I think I, I, we're going to call them, you, you call them bigs. Yeah. Um, that's, I, I think, centers and power forwards. Um, very, I, I think your, your top group like the two or three, four best players um, are all r- really, really good. Yep, exactly. <laughs> but the, yeah, then the, the highs are crazy, but the lows are not as good. Yeah, then you get you get a, a dip, and it gets very interesting. You, your top ten starts with Olu Ashley, one season at Oregon, came off the bench as a sixth man. Average nine points, five rebounds a game for a team that quite honestly should have made the NCAA tournament. Agreed. Uh, number nine, Tony Woods, two-year starter for the Ducks, a center, one of the you know first big pieces for Dana Altman's team, man in the middle of the Sweet 16 team. Um, to Paul White at number eight. Number seven is Bull Bull. Number six is Jovan Catron, a guy that unheralded uh, 8.8 points per game, 5.5 rebounds per game in his five seasons at Oregon <laughs> went out as a champion though, the CBI um, Kenny Wooten is number five. Mike Moser is number four. Arsalan Kazemi is number three. Two is Chris Boucher. Number one is Jordan Bell. Um, I have absolutely no issues at all with your top three. Okay. I probably would put Kenny Wooten ahead of Mike Moser. Um, even though, I mean, Moser was a really good rebounder, solid, you know, scorer for Oregon, played once, but he played one season. And I, I look at Wooten and think, does Moser change the way teams play? I don't think so. You put Kenny Wooten on the court, and I think he changed the way opponents attacked the basket. Um, yeah. He, I think Wooten's impact drastically altered how teams approached playing the Ducks, whereas Moser was just a guy that was really good in Oregon's system, but at the same time didn't necessarily force opponents to change their playing style, if that, if that makes any kind of sense. This was the hardest one on this list, and I've got like 15 back-and-forth slack comments with Kevin Wade to prove it because I was trying to figure out like is this is stupid for me to put Mike Moser above Kenny Wooten because it kind of felt like it at first Matt's now telling me maybe it was but 
it, it was hard because I'm, I'm kind of going off of like, Kenny Wooten was very singular in how he affected a basketball game. And like you said, he certainly did. I mean, he blocked shots. He changed everything that went at the rim. Um, he, but he was very limited offensively. He could barely do anything offensively. And it's funny because I say that, and then you look it up and realize he actually has the best career field goal percentage in Oregon. <laughs> but they're all dunks. But it was all dunks. Everything was at the rim. He shot 67% as a freshman, by the way, which is insane. Yeah. But, but they're all dunks. Whereas the thing with Mosier was just like, and maybe, maybe I'm playing too much on how he finished, but he had a run, and I put it in the story, over his um, – the final seven conference games, and Oregon won all of them. Remember, Oregon was just in a terrible Yeah, they were spot. in a really bad spot. That's when Joe Young came forward and was like, we're making the tournament. And Yeah, and Moser scores 17 points, 11 rebounds, and shot 50% from three over a seven-game span. They win all of them. They end up winning the Pac-12 tournament. Um, they make the tournament, and they don't end up doing very much there. But I just thought that moment was significant. And at the same time, if we're comparing tournament moments, Kenny Wooten certainly had his too. Um, you, you think about the Pac-12 tournament as a freshman. They win those two games with shot blocks at the rim. Uh, and then, obviously, his sophomore season, the last time we saw him play, the way he was blocking shots against Wisconsin and UC Irvine in the first and second round of that tournament. So it's hard. This was the hardest one I had um, on the list. I went with Mojo. I thought he was a little bit overall, um, maybe a better player. And, and, and Wooten was obviously a, a better defensive guy and maybe did one thing better than anything Mosier did. And I'll be honest, I think maybe part of it is Wooten's – upside and this is similar maybe with Troy Brown to a certain extent was so tantalizing and it's sort of frustrating I don't feel like either of them quite got there whereas Mosier at least at times at the, at, during his career at Oregon at least this one season you saw like what maybe the ceiling could actually look like whereas a guy like Wooten just didn't realize it um Bull Bull at seven I mean what I think obviously there? we know individually he's probably the most talented guy that Oregon has had come through the yep. program as a big guy but he only played nine games, eight games. Nine games. Uh, so I, I'm fine with that. That being said, I wouldn't put Jovan Catron ahead of Bull Bull. Um, I also think Paul White might be – and this is where I'm not quite sure uh, we're really splitting hairs. Like, I think Paul White should be seven when he's eight. Um, <laughs> like, or or, or I, th- I think Bull Bull should be – should be six, yeah. Paul White should be seven, and and Catron maybe be eight. But I, I think Paul White is a guy that underrated, uh, underrated, and a lot like what I said about Troy Brown playing out of position. His junior year and for the first half of his senior year, he was playing, you know, the center position for Oregon, and it just didn't, it wasn't him because he's more of a power forward, small forward than a center power forward or power forward center and his last I'd I'd be really curious you know I'm doing this on the fly but looking at his career at Oregon and thinking what he did as the Ducks kind of turned the corner a little bit and you know they saved their season and and got into the Pac-12 tournament with a good with a good you know decent seed and and then what rough shed over everybody. And I just go back and think, you know, he had 21 points against Washington state. He had 10 points, five steals um, against, or excuse me. That, yeah. Five steals against the Huskies uh, against ASU in the quarterfinal, uh, the semifinals of the PAC 12 tournament. He had 14 points and seven rebounds, 14 in, in against the Huskies. He had 14 against Wisconsin, 
ten and six when three steals against Virginia. Um, I, I think Paul White down the stretch was very very good, and once he was playing predominantly the small forward, power forward positions, but there's no way I'm going to rank him above a Moser or Kenny Wooten right. um, or an Arsalan Kazemi, a Chris Boucher or Jordan Bell. And real quick, I just want to touch on Kazemi. Um, yeah. I, I think his profile, if, if he did what he did in his one season at Oregon today, instead of when Oregon was first, you know, year three under Dana Altman or year two under Dana Altman, whatever year three it was. Um, and, the Oregon program has the cachet that it now has. I think if, if Kazemi was all of a sudden thrown onto the 2020, 2021 roster and he averaged 9.4 rebound points, 10 rebounds, two steals per game shot 59% from the field and just did everything that he did. I think his, his star power would be significantly higher. There is so much that I want to touch on uh, that you just talked about. And uh, let's start with Kazemi. And I, 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 I did have a pause with Kazemi versus Boucher at two. Um, ultimately, I thought what Boucher accomplished over two years was more significant, the highs of those teams, his personal talent. But there's a real argument there with what Kazemi could do. Um, and, like, legitimately, you're right. And if he got a second year even, and maybe Oregon – makes another run that year or like you said if you put him on a different team he could have had an argument even ahead of Jordan a uh, Jordan Bell um and, and a lot of the Jordan Bell stuff is just that junior season and that NCAA tournament run with how incredibly dominant he was there and it's just hard for me to put another big guy over what he did in that NCAA tournament and how dominant he was but Katron or uh, sorry Kazemi is a guy that can certainly uh could have been in that consideration if things just played out a little differently if he had a little bit more notoriety maybe on a better team maybe got a second or third year with Oregon. Um, I loved Kazemi. I, I'm a humongous fan of his thought. He was awesome. You could clone five Kazemis and put them on the court together. You probably don't have a point guard and you probably can't shoot three, <laughs> but boy, it's going to be hard for their team to do much of anything effectively. Cause he played so hard. Um, so yeah, I agree with that. Uh, I think using kind of the analysis I used with like a Troy Brown, I probably should have had a bull bull a step lower and probably below a Paul white, I think in retrospect. And then here's my question for you, Matt, and this is kind of a joke, but, if Jovan Catron and Bull Bull were to play one-on-one basketball to 11, do you think <laughs> can Catron even get a shot to the rim? <laughs> and, it, no. like, it, and so maybe that, that should have been the ultimate Catron uh, versus Bull uh, angle there is like, if you played those, if you guys put those guys together on a court and asked them to play to 11, it's probably 11-0 Bull. Uh, but Catron's hard because he had a fantastic senior year. I know obviously his talent doesn't compare to the guys below him. It's kind of the EJ Singler thing where you're just looking at as a senior on an Oregon team that they won a CBI. He averaged 15 and seven a game, uh, was a second team all conference guy. Thought that kind of meant something, but um, I could see an argument for Paul White above him. I think that would have been interesting to think about a little bit more. And I think White is a guy, if I'm, if I'm, if I'm just reflecting a little bit more on this, maybe I have him a spot or two below. All right. Now your, your final top 10 list, all positions, the last decade Mike Moser at number 10 EJ Singler at number nine Kazemi at number eight Elgin Cook at number seven Chris Boucher at six Tyler Dorsey at five Jordan Bell at four Joe Young at three Peyton Pritchard at two Dylan Brooks at one one through three I don't think there's any doubt like there there's no debating these are the three best players to roll through the program. Now, I think you could argue individually, 
each one could have have a, some kind of a case for number one. Um, I think I lean more towards Peyton and Dylan being more in the discussion for number one than Joe Young. Um, but I certainly think he's in that discussion too. And I, I probably – I'm fine with Dylan Brooks being number one, but I do think I probably would put Peyton Pritchard number one over Dylan Brooks. I think my three would be Pritchard, Brooks, Joe Young, only because I think – I think Brooks was really good, obviously, was Pac-12 player of the year. But I don't think Dylan Brooks was ever the best player at his position nationally. And I think Peyton Pritchard as a senior, it was very clear. He was one of the best players in college basketball and the best point guard in college basketball. It was, yeah, you, you, for me, how I put this together, there's three guys that won Pac-12 Player of the Year. Those guys to belong in a group together. And then for me, it really became like you, Pritchard versus Brooks. And I think it's hard. It was very difficult. Also, a lot of Slack messages with Kevin Wade where I was being like, what do you, is it crazy that I want to put Brooks over Pritchard considering how what Brooks did last year? I think where I landed, and I mentioned it in the story, and, is, and maybe this is somewhat unfair because Pritchard's senior year, he doesn't get a tournament run like, he, like Brooks obviously got a couple of. But... Brooks was that alpha dog on probably the two best Oregon teams ever, you know, and you can say, was he the most valuable player to those teams? Maybe Tyler Dorsey's shooting was more valuable in the NCAA tournament. Maybe Jordan Bell's shot blocking and rebounding was more important in that tournament. But I think overall in 20, when you look back at those two seasons in, uh, in 15, 16 and, and 16, 17, they make the elite eight, the final four, they win the PAC 12 both years. Brooks was the best player on those teams. He hit the biggest shots. They won games when he played really well. They lost him when he didn't typically. Um, they lost 13 total games his final two seasons. To me, that was what gave me the, the edge over Pritchard. But it, 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 like we said earlier, this was a hard, hard one to choose, and it was splitting hairs. And I do think, like we talked about earlier with a Cruz Duarte, of like what could have been scenario here, what if Oregon plays in the Annette Silva tournament this year and Pritchard, I think it was certainly possible, I mentioned before, like a Kemba moment where he just has a big, big moment and they make a deep run to the tournament. There's no question if he has an opportunity for that as a senior and it happens, he could have moved past Brooks on this list. That was the kind of thing that I think would have, uh, I guess, differentiated those two. But they're both very deserving of that consideration. And so is Joe Young. Jordan Bell at four, Tyler Dorsey at five, Chris Boucher at six. I think, again, like the first three, you could kind of argue one way or the other um, for these yep. next three spots. Um, I'm, I'm totally fine with that. And, and it gets me to number seven at Elgin Cook. And your reasoning and, and explanation is this is as high as I could place Cook. And I still, I, feel, I still feel he is still a bit underrated this decade. And I think that perfectly sums up his spot yep. um, and him as a player because I, I, I looked at that and was like, Elgin Cook, I, I'd have him a little bit higher. But then at the same time, like, I don't know if I could pull off any of the six guys higher up. And I think that speaks to the volume of, of how talented those, those six guys were because, look, I, I think Elgin Cook, as a senior on that 2015-16 Elite Eight team, was impressive. And you could maybe argue was the team's best player. Um, over there times that was, yeah, there's the case, yeah. And, but at the same time, I look back and – his, his sophomore year at Oregon, it was okay. Rent bench player. As a junior, he was a starter. And, um, you know, he, he saw some good numbers, but 
you really upped it up one year, but is it, does that one year really out, outperform, you know, the multiple years from the guys behind him or ahead of him? Um, and it's kind of the same case with Arsenal and Kazemi. Um, personally, though, with, with Singler and Moser, I probably would put – I probably would pull off one of them, and I probably would put Lewis King in, on this list. Um, because I look at King and think he is a guy that when he was healthy and down the stretch when he was playing his best basketball, and it's granted it's one year and part of one year, he was special. Um, but again, it's, it's half of one year and Moser and Singler played an entire year at least. And for Singler played multiple years. Yeah, that tenth spot was difficult, and Mosier or uh, King in general. And I said it in the story. I, there might maybe Troy Brown can be included in this, or an Arsalan Kazemi. But like, if you gave, if you could just give one guy another year and see what would have happened, I feel like King is the top candidate for that. Yeah, he was so freaking good, especially in postseason play. I went back and looked through the numbers from like the Pac-12 tournament in NCAA, and was just stunned. He was shooting like fifty percent from three on seven attempts a game. <laughs> it's just yeah. like Yikes. And, uh, and really seem to put it all together. And then, of course, unfortunately, that's the last we see of him in an Oregon uniform. Same, scenario, same question we asked earlier, like, who's a better player between King, Moser, and Singler? And it's a pretty easy choice. It's just, unfortunately, the career doesn't quite match up there. I think Kazemi, again, it was hard. I think Kazemi, like Cook, it's like I wanted to put him higher, but I just don't see you really can't. Um, really quickly though, the one, the one that I did deliberate, what about Elgin Cook versus Chris Boucher? Could you make an, an Elgin argument over him? Cause it was hard for me to pick between those two. Um, kind of goes back to my Moser, Kenny Wooten discussion. Like I felt like Boucher just physically changed the way opponents attacked Oregon defensively and then defended Oregon because you you had to have a big guy that could guard Boucher on the perimeter but then also was tall enough to guard him on the low block. I like like I think a one-on-one game between Elgin Cook and Chris Boucher would have been absolutely fantastic to watch. No kidding. Maybe that's an idea for a future podcast. The best one-on-one matchups from Oregon basketball of the last 10 years. There's actually some fun questions there. Like who would win Peyton Pritchard, Dylan Brooks? I think that'd be fun. Pritchard's pretty crafty. So like, I, I think I, I, I'm okay with it. Was that a debate for you that was really hard? It wasn't the hardest one overall, probably even on this list, because the Brooks-Pritchard one took a long time. But that one was a difficult one. Because I, I, if you look at the, what they accomplished, like Elgin Cook's senior season – he made all first team pack 12 average like 15 and five a game. And, and I know Boucher was fantastic in his last year. And part, I think it's unfair that he wasn't an all conference guy. Cause he was such a significant part. And he got overlooked because of, it's probably hard to put four players from the same team on a 10 player all pack 12 first team, but he certainly probably deserved to be on one of those. But ultimately I just think if you're, if you jump 10 years in the future and maybe this is unfair to cook. Cause I do think he was underrated while he was playing too. But if you jump 10 years in the future and you just look at – and you're asked, just looking at those names, don't look at the stats or anything, 
I think Chris Boucher is the name I pick just based upon my memories of, of, of these two players' careers. I think Boucher's – the highs of Boucher's career were just incredible. I put some of it in the story, but he, remember he had six threes against yeah. Washington State in a game up there. I blocked nine shots, which is a school record hold uh, school record. He has 19 rebounds against Montana. I know Montana's not a great opponent or whatever, but 19 rebounds is the school record for Matthew Knight Arena still. Um, he just had moments. So I think I'd go Boucher over Cook, but it, it wasn't an easy choice. Yeah, Boucher was one where you really wonder, like if he never tore his ACL and could play, A, how much would have that impacted Jordan Bell's, you know, meteoric rise right during the month of march um and does does that prevent that from happening and does bell come back to school as a senior um and b does the addition of chris boucher in the ncaa tournament does that lead to oregon getting a one seed or a two seed and if it doesn't like do they do they i think they still reach the final four but do they beat north carolina having chris boucher on on the floor and I think that's like the thing that really stinks is because we have a good idea, but at the same time, we will never know for certain. Yeah, man, that's the story of Oregon athletics these days. Unfortunately, <laughs> I'm just thinking about this past spring of men's basketball, women's basketball, what might happen in the future here. Just seems like there's too many what if stories in Boucher, certainly one of the great ones um, from an Oregon basketball perspective and, and, he, fantastic player, fantastic player, and they could have certainly used him in that tournament. Who knows what would have happened? It's a good list. Now, looking at this list, there are no players um, on it that are current players. Peyton Pritchard's the most current, you know, the most recent one. Do you feel like if I give you the the, the cachet that says what Chris Duarte or Will Richardson does? in 2020 2021 can count towards the 2010 decade do either of those guys make this list in in a year or two i think i think i think duarte and now the interesting thing with duarte and we've talked about this before is that rotation if lj figueroa gets his year does that impact his ability to have the season at least statistically that we would want because maybe he's only maybe he plays six to eight less minutes because they're just so crowded at guard at the same time, I, Duarte is a player I love. I thought, honestly, the highs of Duarte against the L.A. schools, like he could make an argument that that was as good of a weekend for a wing, probably aside from some – I'd have to go look and find some Don Brooks weekends. But, like, that Duarte weekend was freaking awesome. And if he can bottle that and capture that and be that player for a full season next year, there's no doubt he can be on this list. Now, I don't know where the ceiling is. Probably the ceiling is honestly – eight maybe maybe he can get to seven where elgin cook is i just don't know if i can see a scenario where he can get past like the boucher's and dorsey's and then obviously into the pac player of the year conversation guys but i think he's the one between the two that i could see making the leap and i wouldn't be even that stunned either i, I think what we saw last year when he was healthy was really really impressive and if, if he can be that player for a full season there's no reason you can't look back and and again we're breaking rules here by including his next season but if in some hypothetical scenario that that was okay, I don't think there's much question that he can have a season coming up that would put him on this list. Yeah, and I, I agree with you. I was going to ask that was going to be my next question of just what kind of a ceiling does like a Chris Duarte have? And I'm not sure he can surpass Boucher. Um, the only way I think it would be possible is if he – can show that he's, you know, 
obviously what he did against the LA schools that one weekend where he averaged like eight steals a game, that's right. never going to be replicated over a, a 32 game regular season. It's just, that's impossible. But could he, could he average two and a half? Could he average three steals, you know, three and a half steals per game? Kind of like what my Tybal did a couple of years ago at, at UW. Right. Where he won player of the year, I believe. And it was in part because he literally shut, you know, the opponent's best player down offensively every single night and could guard so many different, you know, spots on the floor. If Duarte becomes that type of a player defensively and as a senior, which I'm not going to say is likely, but it's not out of the realm of possibilities um, in my mind. Maybe that is what catapults him above Chris Boucher. Could be. I, you know, I don't, I wouldn't discount that. And uh, I think, again, I, I'm a huge fan of Duarte. I'm excited to see what he can do. And, and I'm excited to see, like, I know they're not coming onto the top 10 list, but I think there are a couple other guys, like, there's no reason in Folly Dante can't have an awesome season as a sophomore and jump over a guy like a Tony Woods or like an mm-hmm. Olu Wachalu onto those bigs lists. There's a couple other guys in the roster that definitely could do something similar. Um, I, obviously, we, we've talked about super talented roster. I think it's going to be interesting. I guess 10 years from now, it'll be interesting to look back and maybe rank the best players of the 2020s. And I wouldn't be shocked at all to see a numerous players from the 2020, 2021 upcoming season on a list like that. No doubt about it. Hopefully you guys enjoyed this podcast. For Eric Scopel, I'm Matt Bream. You've been listening to the Odds and Audibles podcast. Talk to you later, folks.